0: Hot Takes and Cold Beers with your
1: hosts, Chris and Joe! Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hot Takes and Cold Beers with Chris and Joe. As always, I am Joe, and with us is Chris. How's it going tonight, brother?
0: It's going good tonight, man. Just uh, chilling. You know, it's a little warm, so I actually had to turn on my AC today. Yeah, I know you being in Florida. You've probably had yours on for a couple months now, but I finally uh, turned on that AC. It feels really nice in the house, so I'm loving it. It's good stuff. Yeah,
1: down here it's either like it's either heat or AC. Like there's not a time where you can just like leave it off. It's <laughs> like that's,
0: either or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Well, hey, so well, uh,
1: what do you think about these uh, MLB MLB negotiations about the players and whatnot?
0: Getting right into it, so the MLB negotiations going on, it's um. Now i know i wasn't i was alive for the last uh lockdown that they had in ninety four I think this I is a waiting. little bit different
1: was, than like the i don't you know I, a normal player negotiation you know
0: i don't think it is it's um it's coming down to a huge money money issue and from what I read today, the m l b owners are asking the players who are making like 36 to 40 million a year to only make 8 million a year this year. And they're not prorating their, their salary at all. So they're taking, you know, a good 75% pay cut, uh, which is insane. And, and from what I read, the players are not happy about it. So it's, it's going to the players association at this point. So, I mean, I'm just hoping it's not going to end in a lockdown. Now, even if they do get this figured out this year, the contract only goes through next year, so this might play into the whole negotiation process next year when they're open back up, too.
1: Well, okay, let me ask you this. As a avid baseball fan like I know you are, do you do you side with the owners or the players? When do you think – like, which which side, uh, if you had to choose one? Because a lot of uh, – I know a lot of fans are kind of mad at their players because they just want to see some baseball,
0: and it kind of seems like the players are holding this up. Um, I would have to say – I side with the players on this one, man. Dude, it's such a huge pay cut. It just feels like the owners are asking them to give up everything just so that they can make their the, – the owners are billionaires, right? They're not millionaires. The players are millionaires. The owners are billionaires, right? I just feel like the owners are asking for too much at this point, man. Uh, yeah, and especially just, when it's that, the
1: players that have to go out and not only plays a sport, precisely. the ones who have to – get on the
0: planes and interact with security guards meanwhile the owners the owners are at home Yep the the owners are at home you know not risking their their health or their concerns or anything like that like i i just think the owners are asking for way too much and i i I think i fall on the side of the players on this one i mean we all want
1: to see baseball but i mean we we do but it it has to be a a good business
0: the MLB and all professional sports for that matter are, is a professional business. You know, that's what those people do to make their living. Now, yes, they are making extreme amounts of money, right? Even at the pay cut, the league minimum, what they the MLB owners are proposing is going to be like a $250,000 salary, which is way above any, anything that you or I could make. So it sounds a little greedy. I understand from a normal man's perspective, but at the same time, you know that's they they should be making a whole lot more, and I just feel like the the owners are asking too much, and I hope that they get into a negotiation to where they can have some baseball this year. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the uh, I feel like the owners are kind of using this whole pandemic and whatnot as an opportunity to try and restructure the contracts in their favor. And right. like it would be it would be one thing if they were like, let's just do this for this year and then we'll see what happens, or if they've like written into the contract like this is strictly for COVID related times, and then all right, well, they're playing less games, so like maybe you could not not as jurassic as a pay cut as what they're proposing right now, but maybe maybe you pay them like the normal amount that they would make, except, you know, even it out to the amount of games that they have. You know what I mean? Does that make right. sense? Right.
0: And I'm I'm just hoping that it's going to be like any normal negotiation goes where one person is on one end of the spectrum, the other person is on the other side of the spectrum, and then they can meet in the middle somewhere. And I'm hoping that – and then we can get some baseball going. I hope that's what happens. But even if it does happen, I think that this, this year, because like I said, the MLBPA uh, contract or whatever they have ends next year. So – or it's either next year or the year after that but that I think this whole negotiation process right here is going to play a huge point in those those uh future negotiations. We're I mean, like, well, we gave you this, so why don't you give us this this time? And then and then the owners are going to be like, well, no, th- that's not how we feel. So I mean, it's it's going to be really really interesting to see where this where this pans out in the future.
1: Right. And like I said, I think so many fans are just kind of um they're they're mad at the players because it seems well i mean that's that's what the owners using as leverage is because it is the players that look come out as kind of greedy
0: yeah i mean it's tough but man. It, it is I, a business I, I think, yeah
1: i i think the players are in the right and i hope that they get paid i mean in a long run i really do just want to see baseball but it's like you don't want the players to be mistreated or anything like that either and baseball is already so kind of fragile and right. the way that it's kind of losing fans and all
0: that other stuff. Right. And well, the, the good news coming out of this is that the MLB right now is the only one that's kind of in question where they don't know where they're going to go. All the other major leagues, are they kind of have a plan set into into what they want to do as far as this season and the next season goes. And I think that's a, a decent transition into the old uh, NHL. Uh, playoffs did well, you see what's coming of that
1: yeah I did and uh yeah so uh, I'm super excited I just saw John Tavares today who plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs who the Columbus Blue Jackets would be playing in the mm-hmm. proposed playoffs and he was like yeah the Blue Jackets are going to be a rough test in the first round I was just thinking to myself kind of like "Yeah, no shit there Johnny boy like we kind <laughs> of the lightning in the first round of the playoffs last year you know well, I mean? the
0: The interesting thing is, is whenever I saw that we clinched, uh, quote unquote, clinched the playoffs as it stands right now, and our matchup would be the Maple Leafs, I went back into our schedule for this year and see how many times we played the Maple Leafs. We played them twice. First game, we got blown out four to one. And this was in October, mind you, early in the season. And we weren't playing so hot at that point because we didn't really hit our stride until about the December-January time frame. So we played them in October twice. The first game at the beginning of October, we lost 4-1. to one. And then the second game, we lost, or excuse me, we won that game in overtime 4-3. to three. So we're 1-1 one one against the Maple Leafs this year. But like I said, we met them so early in the season that I don't know how to take that you know it's it should be an interesting yeah, matchup you. that's for sure
1: i i think I think we could handle the maple leaves I think um, so too
0: absolutely
2: it's no, really anybody's is... it's
0: anybody's cup this year because they've been off for what two going on three months now um it just it 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 depends on who finds their their skating ability again or their their stride or whatever you want to call it. So it should be interesting and I'm really I'm really excited for the NHL playoffs if it does happen. It's not officially confirmed as of now. They still have to vote on it, but it's looking like we're going to get it uh the 24 uh, NHL team playoff. Um
1: which is awesome. Format. Um yeah. But yeah, absolutely. back to baseball a little bit. That's what I was saying though, is cuz if you look at the year that the NHL kind of missed, that's when they lost their TV deal with ESPN and right. I feel like they, that really slowed the growth of the NFL, or I'm sorry, NHL, and took popularity away from it a little bit.
0: Well, that's true and too.
1: Now, if baseball can't figure their stuff out, and then we have hockey and basketball all summer long, that's not going to be a good look for baseball at all. That's it's not a good look.
0: It, I think what it comes down to is baseball is known as America's pastime, right? And I think it always will be just strictly based on traditions that may or may, you may or may not feel that yeah, but way. Young nowadays. People young
1: people, people, especially right. people younger than us. They don't Right. No one values tradition anymore. And that's true. It's like I talked to so many people shout out to Skylar Farley about like, they don't like baseball. They don't like watching on TV and everything like that. Cause I mean, it's, it's true. It's not as stimulating as hockey or football or UFC fights. Like you, there's not a lot of action. And um, especially in today's baseball, where it's kind of like home run or bust, you don't see guys hitting for right. a double or aiming that single ball out to anywhere in the outfield or anything like that. So, and you know, everyone in today's generation is very stimulate me now, stimulate me now. That's social right. media, I mean, Netflix. Like, you're not used to downtime anymore, if that makes sense to you. It does. I mean, I feel like and that's why baseball has dropped off a little bit.
0: Well, as much as I hate to say it, baseball is very boring to watch on tv man it's very slow now that's only on tv though if you go to the ballpark and you're there with your friends or whatever and you're drinking beers you're eating the hot dogs the peanuts you're enjoying the atmosphere it's a lot more fun in person but on tv i could see where people are kind of starting to lose their 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 luster for or their yeah their luster for the game just because it's a little bit boring to watch I still enjoy watching it myself, but I could see where other people don't enjoy watching it. For me, it's like I completely
1: understand why people might think it's boring watching on TV. I personally do not feel that way because I don't know. I when you follow the sport so closely and you know the players and you know their stats and like you know this pitcher is coming up and the pitcher has a two-one count on this specific batter and you Mm. know this batter. Mm you know, the strong batter or something like that. And it's like, okay, you watch this, especially, you know, Indians like the team I follow the most, but like, all right, Clevenger's up at the plate. He's got a big hitter at a 2-1 count and the hitter's left-handed. I know what Clevenger's going to throw, or at least have yeah. a good guess. It's almost right. like guessing a play for a football game. Right. And uh, that's exciting to me, you know. But It is
0: I, exciting. That's if you – that's us. That's you and me, Joe. We are huge – right fans and that's what i'm saying your your average average fan is the casual fan might not have that same passion for our teams basically so i don't know man it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting that's for sure yeah like i said i i
1: so i do understand why some people don't find it as entertaining to watch on tv i mean nothing gives me the same type of good feeling though as getting um Getting like you said, like a cold beer, a bag of peanuts, sitting down at a baseball game—is, you know, cheering for the home team, if you will.
0: My dad always said that uh, you're not doing a baseball game properly unless you got a hot dog and peanuts with you. Shout out to Dad—he <laughs> made that rule, and I've followed it ever since.
1: <laughs> the originator of the hot dog at a baseball game—Chris Fireball's dad.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Who is a huge fan of our show, by the way. So thank you for listening. I don't even think my dad listens, so. <laughs> so anyway, um, we got a fight card this weekend too, man. Did you see the uh, fight card coming up? In, uh Woodley's fighting.
1: Yeah, I saw that. I haven't seen it. I feel like it's been, he might've fought and I might've missed it because I was on an appointment or something like that, but I feel like it's been ages since I've seen that.
0: Yeah, I don't remember the last time. I want to say it was pretty recent, but he fought sometime this year, I want to say, or late last year. But it should be a good card, though. Um, it's on ESPN and ESPN Plus, so it's not pay-per-view, which is nice. Some people would say that, like I said, the casual MMA fan might not find it, – it doesn't have that big name draw to it. But at the same time, it's on ESPN, so it's going to be worth watching. So I'm excited for it. What's her name? Shevchenko is fighting, and she's, she's an excellent fighter. I love watching Shevchenko fight, and she's fighting uh, Chukagian. That'll be a good I'll fight. I'll watch
1: them. Absolutely. See, yeah. Last weekends, I I don't know. Last weekends just didn't call it to me, but there's bigger. There are bigger names on this one, and uh, I definitely check it out. Is, is this one back in Jacksonville, or is this one so on Fight Island?
0: No, no. This one's in Las Vegas, actually. Oh, I did.
1: I did see that Nevada said it was okay now.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I mean, they've been following the same protocols. They've gotten like numerous COVID tests. Uh, throughout the entire time and so far nobody's pop positive for it so that's a good sign of course last last weekend or the last fight card they had uh, one person I think it was Usman uh, pop positive for it like the day of so we'll see if anything happens hopefully not because I mean this is a solid card and I just enjoy having the live sports I think the UFC has done a very good job of having no fans in the stands and then like not making it seem that way. You know what I'm saying? Like they've dimmed the lights on all the seats. Like you can't really tell that there's not any, any, any fans besides, the, besides the noise,
1: besides, besides
0: the, noise. The, the lack of noise. Right. And which is funny because the announcers like Joe Rogan and DC, I'm not sure who's going to be announcing this, this weekend, but they actually call the fight. Like they see it. Right. And uh, they'll call out, and them, themselves being fighters, they'll be like, oh no, this person needs to stop trying to take this person down. And then, like, on uh, Greg Hardy on his last fight, he was like, shout out to DC. I, I made an adjustment. I heard what he said, and I made that adjustment, and then I won the fight. So, shout out to DC. Yeah. It's just uh, well,
1: some of the other fighters said they didn't hear him at all. And um, Jorge Mezvidal uh, attributed that to. Greg Hardy's football background, it might be the reason why he was able to hear that and make, like, in-fight adjustments.
0: Absolutely. I think that that had to play a huge deal in it, right? It absolutely had to. Are you ready
1: to bring on our guest tonight?
0: Yeah, man. We're bringing on, uh, we've got the fees, the friend of the pod, L. So, basically, this week, we had the uh, Ulysses S. Grant documentary series on History Channel, and the fees turned us on to it and it was an excellent documentary and we want to have him on because he's a history major and he knows a lot about the civil war and i would love to get his perspective so let's get him in on here
1: hello fees welcome back to hot takes and cold beers how's it going tonight Fees l what's up buddy
2: nothing much it's going good got me a glass of water this time instead of beer i'm afraid Oh cool,
0: man. I,
1: I'm i I'm afraid that's against the rules, my friend. That
0: is the the name of the show is not Hot Taste Cold Water. I've already established that. It's Hot Taste Cold I Beers. A,
2: I actually wanted to get to the liquor store today and get some old crow whiskey in honor of the subject that I'm gonna be talking about tonight because that was his favorite brand, but I wasn't able to well, make. I did
1: not know that. Uh, that's a fun like, old, tidbit. That's Old that's, that's a crow teaser. whiskey. Oh. Yeah. Might have to that's check that stuff. out.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: i'm gonna besides besides on this pod i'm gonna be trying to stick to more whiskey and vodka type drinks keep those calories a little bit lower and stuff like that but on hot takes and cold beers you have to have a beer so I'm, but, speaking of beers you know, what are
0: you drinking tonight
1: oh i'm just drinking a classic dinger you know i okay. i'm kind of in the same boat as Fizo. i uh haven't had chance to get to the store recently and uh like i said i I almost busted out one of the Chuhai's that my buddy sent me from Japan, but I mm, have not, I high. not reached that yet.
0: You got to save that for the happy hour. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. Now, tonight, drinking? tonight, I'm drinking what's called Special Lady Friend. And now, this is done by a jailbreak brewing company. They are out of Laurel, Maryland. So, they're like, what, 45 minutes or so outside of my area. Probably about 15 minutes outside of you, their fee's. Special lady friend. I got this because if you notice the can uh, is mod from the big Lebowski. And then they also have an upside down picture of um, Donnie, right? That's awesome. Yeah. So it's a a shout out tribute to the big Lebowski uh, on the rest in peace, Donnie. And rest in peace, Donnie. (laughs) You're out of your fucking element, Donnie. (laughs) It's good. It's a hazy IPA 7.0. ABV, it's delicious.
2: All right,
1: Fees. Let's hear it. Get, what do you think about the the Grant documentary?
2: Uh for a novice on the subject, it's probably a really good introduction to Grant. Uh I, they got a few things wrong. Uh for instance, the uh, first battle that they uh chronicle in the uh the documentary, the Battle of Belmont. Uh, they had it taking place in Kentucky, but it took place in Missouri. Also I didn't really like how the battles that they portrayed were kind of like uh, WWE free-for-alls. Mm. There was a little bit you know, less chaotic, a little bit more organized and linear. But by and large, it was really solid. Uh, I kind of wish they would have uh, included a little bit more of Grant's presidency because that's a subject that I really don't know uh, as much about. So I really wish they would have chronicled mm-hmm. at least a little bit more of his presidency, but by and large, solid, solid mm. three-night episode.
1: I thought it was pretty interesting because I've always, I'm not very, I know more about, you know, him being a civil war general than a president, but you know, I've always heard that, you know, Grant was one of the worst presidents and at least one of the top 10 worst and like all this other stuff. And at least, you know, in documentary, they painted it more like it wasn't, it wasn't really Grant that was more so corrupt, but a lot of the cabinet members and administration people that he surrounded himself with, which if, if true, that's super interesting. I thought at least
2: he was a very gullible human being as a matter of fact a lot of his pre-war failures had to do with the fact that he fell for people's schemes because he always saw the best in people but for whatever reason uh, in battle and in the heart of war he was just able to read people better than Hmm. anyone else in the war but when there wasn't a war on when he was in peacetime he just got screwed by people multiple, multiple times. It's well, really I thought it was,
0: I thought it was super interesting to where the narrative on his presidency, uh, they touched on it towards the end. It, it got written by the South pretty much to where General Lee was the hero and General Grant, President Grant was the villain and, there's a whole generation of people who just think he was the worst person in the world. But then at the end, they showed, uh, his wife reading him a letter, uh, from a Confederate soldier saying, you know, I really respect you. And I'm really hard, uh, i I'm really sorry to hear that you're in pain and I really respect you and I'll never forget you. Thank you for what you did kind of thing. And that's coming from the, the people that he was fighting against. Right. So like, there has to be something taken into account for that, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, after he died, you start seeing the lost cause mythology kind of take uh, take hold. A lot of Civil War veterans, uh, particularly Confederate generals, they're the ones who kind of propagated this this myth that the South wasn't necessarily fighting for slavery, but they were fighting for, you know, states' rights, their right to be, Free and independent, and that they were going uh, by how the Constitution was originally interpreted, and that the North was in the wrong, and they just had to, as the documentary states, kind of you know come to terms with the fact that their cause they were fighting for was pretty shitty. Like it wasn't yeah. a good cause to fight for at all. So they kind of invented this you know Southern chivalry. This, you know, last great epic era in American history killed off by Yankee imperialism, and of course you have to magnify, which Robert E. Lee was a great general, don't get me wrong, definitely one of the best of the war, Uh, top two, easily, with Grant, in my opinion, being number one, Uh, but... I feel like Grant definitely got screwed by these original Civil War historians who were mainly from the South. And it wasn't until about 50 or 60 years ago that that narrative began to change. And it's still evolving even today.
0: Well, I think the thing that stuck out to me was that Theodore Roosevelt, one of the best presidents in our entire history, even even he said that President Grant was one of the the greatest presidents, or at least definitely the greatest general of their time, right? So like he put him on on that let's say um on that pedestal, if you will. Uh that well, they he even was, they
1: said even when Grant died he was like the most famous American like worldwide.
0: Like, right. He, and I, I think that's super interesting because I definitely didn't know that. Everything that I had ever read was that he had a corrupt presidency. Um he was one of the worst presidents of all time. Like and then like seeing all the facts laid out in this documentary i'm i'm not sure if they're they're real facts or if they're made up for the documentary but it seems like he he definitely took the presidency in a very tumultuous time if you will and it was very difficult it was a huge undertaking for him and i think he did pretty well given the circumstances i mean i could be wrong but based on that documentary like i'm i'm just blown away that people think he was an awful president
2: yeah i mean like he he had his faults uh obviously the corruption uh kind of taints his presidency a little bit but also the fact that i think reconstruction which was never really popular uh north or south kind of really taints his legacy as well because it's viewed as a failure uh, when you get right down to it because after reconstruction ended uh once grant leaves office uh you see jim crow society spring up in the south you Like, basically, for the next 100 years, it's just, you know, total racism in the South. Uh, Black people aren't allowed to vote. Uh, They're not allowed to hold public office, not allowed to go to the same schools as the white kids. And that was something that Grant was fighting against. But for whatever reason, the northern populace, you know, after four years of war and then 10 plus years of Reconstruction, they just had it with the South. They're like, we spent too much too much time and effort on these people. Let's just screw them. Let's worry about ourselves and forget the South. They'll be who they are.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's uh, super interesting, man. So, you know, overall, how did you think that they pro- portrayed Grant? Was it accurate for the most part besides the points that you just, you just mentioned, or is it faulted in some places or?
2: uh I think, you know, they were trying sometimes uh, to paint Grant in too great of a light, because he did have some controversies in the war. One of those was actually during the Vicksburg campaign, where he basically evicted all of the Jews in the area, Hmm. because apparently they were running some kind of a black market scheme, if I remember correctly, and his dad, who who he had a rocky relationship with, kind of tried to get in on this and was like, hey, Ulysses, can you... Can you cut me in on what's going on? And that kind of just set Grant off. And he wrote out the the law basically evicting all Jews from his area of operations because they were the ones kind of by and large involved in that. And uh, Lincoln actually had, yeah, Lincoln actually had to come in and rescind that order and Grant didn't really apologize for it until he was actually running for president. Really?
0: Yeah. I mean, That's an interesting tidbit.
1: Yeah, Yeah. It doesn't, from the way you described it though, it doesn't really seem like a race thing. Like not, he wasn't doing it because they were Jewish people just because they were running this black market type deal going on and everything.
2: Yeah. And I think it was actually more of an order despite his father than anything else. It got personal for him at that,
0: uh, at that yeah. point.
2: He and his father at this point in time didn't have the best relationship. It got right. better. But like, cause his father viewed him as this big disappointment for much of his life until he actually saw success in the Civil War. And his father wanted to take advantage of that. And Grant yeah. was like, hold on now.
0: <laughs> yeah, you hate to see it. I mean, he married into a pro-slavery family, uh, according to this document, with Dent. And I just think it was really funny that um, his his roommate and his best friend from the academy or his barracks or whatever uh, takes him home, right? Classic military story takes him home and it's like here meet my family. It's like, oh, you have a hot sister (laughs) I'm gonna bang your sister (laughs) And then he ends up marrying her and like having a couple kids with her, too But I just thought that that part was pretty funny just from a (laughs) from a military standpoint Like the perspective, you know, you could totally see that happening nowadays
1: One thing that I never knew was that whole stuff about, they are talking about it in the last episode when he was talking about his presidency, about the uh, whole Ku Klux bill and how, you know, they basically sent federal troops in to stop the Ku Klux Klan and their just outrageous operations and everything like that. And, you know, I, I never knew anything about that. So I thought that was pretty interesting.
2: I was just saying that he created the Department of Justice. Like, he created that whole department solely to fight the Ku Klux Klan. Like, he went, like, total war on those guys. And that's one of the few, like, that's one of the things that's forgotten. Like, he defeated the Ku Klux Klan totally in his first term as president. And it's not until, I think, 1915 or 16 that they pop up again. Mm. Uh, And, of course, they're going to be larger and arguably more violent in their second iteration. But, you know, that first iteration was pretty rough in and of itself. And Grant, with his Department of Justice was able to defeat that first iteration of the KKK, which I think is, you know, one of the forgotten awesome things that he did in the post-war period.
0: Well, he also passed yeah. the, um, I don't think he was part of the 13th amendment, but the 14th and the 15th, the 14th and the 15th amendment was also a really huge thing. Right. So, I mean, he, to say that he had one of the worst presidencies going back and looking now at I'm not sure. Like I said, I just watched. this is based on the documentary. Um, but the way they painted it, like, I can't see how he would be one of the worst presidents of all time.
2: Well, you're starting to see that opinion kind of shift too. Cause I remember it was back in the nineties, like when, uh, gosh, it was one of those, news magazines that my grandmother subscribed to weekly. It always did, you know, every year it had a poll of presidential historians, ranking the presidents from first to last. And Grant, you know, at that particular time was down there towards the bottom. But in recent years, um, mainly due to this new look at his presidency, he's actually been rising up. I think the latest poll I saw, you know, he was like in the uh, high thirties, low forties. So near the bottom, at first but now he's like you know 20 or 21st so he's now in the middle he's rising I mean, up his reputation yeah,
0: he's right in the middle sense. there i suppose yeah yeah I
2: mean, so I, I mean
1: i gotta tell you one of my favorite parts about the whole documentary was that hey spoiler alert, if you guys don't know this or not but grant defeated lee and uh, <laughs> oh what when they the were south at the didn't rise house, when they're at the uh farmhouse and they were doing you know grant was like super cordial he's like you know pretty nice to lee and his army probably, you know, probably gave him better surrender conditions than he needed to. And uh, and then he kept taking those, like, little slights at Lee, though. Like, at the one point, they had the Native American. I think it was Major General Parker, if I believe. Um, yeah. who was Native American. And Robert E. Lee says, like, you know, at least there's, like, one true American here today. And then Grant was like, well, we're all Americans here. So, and then... <laughs> Or no, actually, Parker said that. I'm sorry. Parker yeah, said that wasn't even great. And then, uh, but then Lee said, or Grant was like, you know, you got to tell the rest of your army to lay down their rifles and everything like that. And Robert Lee was like, well, that's not up to me. That's up to my president. And then Grant was like, well, there's only one president today.
0: <laughs> As he smokes his cigar, he's like, takes a big old puff. There's only one president today. <sighs> oh so beautiful the cigars
1: which uh, ultimately killed him so don't smoke they,
0: they, they, they came out and said he was smoking 20 of those motherfuckers a day like are you kidding me I thought of the logistics of that when they told me that I was like wow 20 cigars a day okay say you're only up for you know 12 14 hours you're still smoking more than one cigar like you constantly are smoking a cigar that's just
2: That has to be bad.
0: Obviously, he died of throat Um, cancer, so...
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's probably what stress will do to you, but that's actually one of my favorite stories. It's like when he's dying, you know, Mark Twain comes and he's like, let me publish your memoirs. You need to write your memoirs. And so this guy is basically racing against time to finish his memoirs so his family will have money when he's gone. And I think the documentary doesn't mention this, but it's mentioned in the book that this documentary is based on. Like there is one day where I think he wrote 10,000 words in a single day, you know, wow. and he's constantly in pain. He's actually having to take a combination of cocaine and some other drugs to dull the pain. So he's high while he's writing his memoirs. Yeah. And like, I don't know if you, I mean, you guys have probably never seen the memoirs, much less, led them, much less, much less read them. I but- have
0: read them actually.
1: So,
2: is an incredible writer like well you read i actually
0: stories. i i bought the book uh since watching this documentary i'm really interested in reading <laughs> his memoirs like so i did a- actually end up going and buying his memoirs and i it's on my to read list
2: because they're so good like the way they're written that there is like an urban legend that it was actually mark twain mm. who ghostwriter wow. the, the uh books but Mark Twain was like there's no way I could have done this it's too good or something to that effect like he's like, I like because it, it's so well written that a lot of people were like are you sure Mark you didn't write this <laughs> but no like I mean he literally you know was working until just before he died to finish them which was, was this before
1: Mark Twain died uh, three three days later yeah.
0: three days later was that before Mark Twain got big with the uh, Tom Sawyer novel or uh, I
2: Think was, it he was after starting to hit it big around that time
0: okay that's how
2: he was able to publish them and, and make him gotcha. as famous as he did because yeah. of his name
0: yeah right? I, i'm super excited to read those memoirs man like from what it what it sounds like it sounds like it's going to be really good read so the grant documentary man it changed it changed my life man a little bit like just just the way i think of you know because i've always heard that he's this corrupt drunk president that got lucky right and like just listening and watching this documentary it, it kind of changed my perspective a little bit so uh, i'm super hey, hey to i got
1: i gotta tell you what if you like grant's memoirs you should read uh william tecumseh sherman's because those are pretty good too not maybe not as good as grants but that's a good read too
2: yeah sherman sherman's yeah. a very interesting character very colorful
1: yes yeah, Definitely
2: the, the dog to Grant's more, I guess, passive, calm demeanor.
1: Hmm. Now, now let me I'd be going back to the surrender a little bit. I can't remember if it was you who shared this fact with me or I read it somewhere. But uh the family farmhouse, um, who was that?
2: His uh, name was Wilmer McLean. Uh, I think I know he, he was.
1: Wasn't he there at the beginning of the Civil War, yeah, or like the first he, battle he was, of the Civil War? He, he was on his property.
2: Yeah, the first major battle was fought very close to his property. I think he had a couple of cannonballs come through his uh, his kitchen uh, windows, actually. And he was so distraught by the battle that, you know, he told his family, pack up your things. We're getting as far away from here as possible. And so he moves to Appomattox because he doesn't think the war would ever reach there. And uh, sure enough, that's where the war ends, and Wilmer, Cl- yeah. Wilmer Clean would say, you know, the war uh, began in my front yard and ended in my back parlor. So- yeah,
1: I always, I always <laughs> thought that was so cool. That's As pretty a, awesome. Uh, yeah. Now, I, I will say this. Uh, I thought the documentary was pretty well done, and it definitely kept me interested. However, I fucking hate the History Channel right now because you could just kind of tell that the History Channel knew that this was the first time that they were going to get a lot of viewers in quite a while. And there was a commercial, like, every fucking oh five my god! Minutes. I was like, going to mention it,
0: that. They would play it for, like, three minutes and then play ten minutes of commercials and then come back, play another two or three minutes, and then go back to another five minutes of commercials. Like, it really drove me insane. Like, if I could watch the you know, entire I, thing with no commercials, it would be a thousand times better. Right.
1: And I was watching on the app, and the History Channel app is just pretty shitty, and it kept buffering. But, you know, when they play the ten minutes <laughs> of commercials... You know, no buffer at all. But then, as soon as it gets in, it's like every two minutes. You know, <laughs> well, isn't that so how like, it is? I I can't wait until I cannot wait to watch. I'm definitely gonna watch it again when this you know ultimately comes out on Netflix or Hulu or something like that. And you know, maybe there's not gonna be. I can just watch it like straight through. You know what I mean? And not I have hope to so. The commercials
0: and I hope so. so. Uh,
2: I mean, Plenty of time like, to get beers though. Yeah, truthfully, they really need to make an actual, like, TV miniseries out of this guy's life. Because I don't think, like, it's not really a six-hour documentary, because when you factor in all the commercials, uh, it it doesn't doesn't add up to six hours. And I feel like, you know, they need to do, like, a ten-episode miniseries with actors and massive sets to really do this guy's story justice, because he is, like, you know, the perfect American, rises from nothing. Uh, It's just an amazing story.
0: He's from that Ohio. being said, he is from Ohio. It's a great example of another Ohioan going down to the south and kicking everybody's ass. But that being said, uh, it was very well done when there weren't any commercials interrupting. Like the acting and every the storytelling throughout it was very very well done.
1: Yeah, it, it was well done, and I I like how it was like half documentary, half acting, and like that. You know that was cool. But I'm also with Fizel, where I'd like to see like a whole series come out where it's you kind of leave the documentarians out of it and uh, just have like straight acting all the way through. I think that'd be pretty cool. Too.
0: Absolutely. You know, what would be, you know, would be really interesting is yes. That grant one would be, I would watch the hell out of that grant one, but another interesting one would be a Theodore Roosevelt one. Oh yeah. Definitely. I would love that one.
2: Uh, TNT actually did a, uh, a good mini series uh, about 20 years back about, his time with the Rough Riders in the Oh really? America. Yeah, Tom Beringer played Theodore Roosevelt.
0: Wow, I bet that's really good. I'll, I'll <laughs> was, to was he a, a better
1: Was he a better Teddy Roosevelt than um, Robin Williams?
2: <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> he had the he had the voice down, you know, his little you know eccentric ex whatever that word is voice that Theodore was so you know famous for, but. Better than Robin Williams, as far as I'm concerned. Because Robin Williams was <laughs> playing
0: If those of you <laughs> don't, that don't know, we're talking about Night at the Museum with Ben Stiller. <laughs> Theodore yeah. Roosevelt was played. Robin by Williams Robin the, Williams, and he had
1: a crush on Sacajewea. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good, good movie. So did uh, Custer in
2: that movie too? Didn't Didn't he?
1: What's in that? the second one?
2: Custer had a crush on Sacajewea.
1: No, I or, think Custer had a crush on Amelia Earhart. It uh, was uh, okay. Amy Adams, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, who wouldn't have a crush on Amy Adams?
0: I mean, obviously, we're talking about Amy Adams here. Duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, Fee, To so change the subject a little bit here before we let you go. Uh, since the last time you were on, there's been changes to how the NCAA and different colleges are going to handle the upcoming college football season. I just saw one today that Ohio State was pretty much like we'll sell tickets at 25% capacity, and uh, they'll be sold like with social distancing measures in place and all this other stuff. Given the information that we have today, how do you think this college football season is going to look?
2: Uh, Given the information that we have today, I mean, it's going to look... I mean, it's definitely going to happen. We're definitely going to have a season. Like, it's funny that the so-called team up north who was originally saying, oh, we don't know if there's going to be sports in the fall. Uh, They came back, what was it, a day or two ago. We're like, oh, wait, yeah, football's definitely going to happen. Uh, But I think... My personal prediction is that, yeah, now they're saying 25%, but by the time August rolls around, they're probably going to be close to 100% capacity. They'll probably require masks, uh, but I think that eventually by the time football kicks off in August or beginning of September, you're going to see stadiums close to 100% capacity. Do you think that's going to
1: go like conference by conference or state by state probably?
2: Uh, more like conference by conference. Cause like, you know, the sec, we're very like stubborn in our ways. We're probably just going to be like eff it, fill up the whole, fill up the whole stadium. I'm pretty sure the ACC is probably going to be something similar. A lot of the big 10 schools, maybe if it's school by school, the only, the only conference that I see actually not doing that is the PAC 12 because they're a bunch of liberals.
0: California. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that makes them smarter in this particular case but yeah. i just think that money money talks yeah, and yeah that, they wanna, they want to make as much money as possible from concessions and ticket sales
0: yeah
1: yeah i got you well i hope you're right i'm looking forward to it All right, let me ask you one more thing did you watch your boy tb12 golf on uh last weekend
2: i watched a little bit of it i saw the infamous uh, pants rip
1: uh, <laughs> yeah you know, his, his pants,
0: pants he
1: ripped his pants
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, what a way to pop. make tom
1: brady uh seem more <laughs> like the rest of us right he yeah, did, hey that's just an average guy i've ripped my pants before just like tom brady <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i'm glad that they did that because that was pretty awesome to see like you know peyton and brady and mickelson and just woods out there just golfing away even when it was pouring down rain I thought that
0: was was the great part about it too is it was pouring down rain it looked miserable honestly I was watching it in my living room and I was nice and dry and they were soaking wet dude but I think they went out there because they realized you know they were raising millions of dollars for for this charity right so they were doing some good so they were pressing on and I commend them for that for sure and it was a really good golf match too uh, really, really interesting. But I love seeing Tom Brady look vulnerable on a Sunday, baby.
1: Yeah, you could tell he was like a little bit out of his element. You could he also was. tell he wasn't talk. He wasn't talking any smack until after he held in that eagle on the par five. He wasn't talking any smack until that happened. And then like, I mean, well, I, would was be, talking, a few I would weird be talking. I would be talking
0: mad like, shit after yeah, that
2: too. Yeah, I would be talking mad smack if I made par. I'm a terrorist. <laughs> <guy. laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> bitch. Same. Look at that par.
1: Give me that par. I noticed, too, that Tom Brady is wearing rain gloves. And for all the golfers out there, if you know what rain gloves are, they're these type of gloves that's supposed to help you grip when it's wet. But the thing is, is, like, I don't even know how they're made or what material they're made out of. But they actually, like, they help you with the grip better, like, the more wet they are. So I know that Tom Brady is wearing, like, uh, rain gloves, but he kept drying them off. And I was like, that kind of defeats the purpose.
0: (laughs) He's just an average guy yeah. at golf, man. I loved watching the tracker off the fucking tee box when uh, Tom Brady would, you know, slice it off to the right. be hilarious. It's yeah, just an average like, guy playing golf, man.
1: Yeah. I liked it when Peyton Manning was uh, talking about who he was trying to get as his caddy, too. And he was like, well, you know, I reached out to Belichick, but he was busy this weekend. And I, was, uh, I thought about Eli because, you know, he obviously knows how to beat Tom. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll
2: tell it you, was, like – Manning knows how to talk some smack. I, I actually like that. He's pretty good at that. Absolutely. Did you ever
1: watch uh, Peyton's Places on um, ESPN?
2: No, I never got around to
1: it. Oh, you should definitely check those out. There's not all, not every, 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 episode is great, but there's definitely some really, really cool ones that is definitely worth checking out. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Fees. We got some great insight out of you. Welcome back on Hot Takes and Cold Beers. Anytime you like.
2: I appreciate hey. it. You guys, you guys do good work, and I can't wait to. Listen to more episodes of this fine show that you guys have going <laughs>
0: on here. We'll keep them coming, just for you, fees. Just
2: awesome. because you said that.
0: <laughs> we appreciate it, buddy.
2: No problem. You guys have a good rest of your night.
0: Hey,
1: man. All you right, too, man. Talk to you later, man. That was yeah, the fees, everybody. Facts, as always, from the fees.
0: He always has great facts, man. Yeah. He's just a oh, for all you
1: ladies out there. He's single too. So oh hell yeah,
0: up. hit him up for sure. Hit him in the Message DMs. or
1: Instagram, and and I'll, uh, I'll slide you his number. Was, <laughs> so minute. I was going to ask you, what did you think about uh, Baker's Baker's press conference yesterday?
0: So <clears throat> Baker's Baker's press conference was good. Uh, first thing I noticed off the bat, he's looking real shaggy like the rest of us, right? He's got his beard going. He's got a fucking mullet going. He always kind of has that shaggy I know, look. I know he does, but he's rocking a fucking mullet hard right now, dude. Yeah. Visit- Business in the front, party in the back, right? Well, he's also been and in I Texas for
1: the last couple of months, I think.
0: That yeah, or Texas or Florida, one of the two. But yeah, no, he's, he's been in
1: his hometown and outside of Austin.
0: Okay, cool. So he's in Texas, man. I'm loving it, dude. And in the press conference was good. I think the key highlight I took out of it was you know last year I was talking a lot of smack, and and this is paraphrasing, obviously, but. He said, last last year I was talking a lot of smack and I was in the media constantly. This year I'm focused on my game, which is good. I think he needs to do that, man. He doesn't need to bring any more attention onto himself than what's already brought onto him, you know? So, Especially well, geez, in this pivotal year.
1: I have mixed feelings about it because I think the Browns definitely need to focus on playing football and not Obviously. talking smack or doing any of the other stuff. However... I feel like Baker talking smack is kind of like part of his game. If you look back to the last couple of basketball seasons, there was Draymond Green and Joel Embiid both said like, you know, two famous trash talkers and yelling and very emotional players. And they both said that they're going to try and back off of their trash talking and focus more on the game and everything like that. And in both instances, their game kind of like, you know, fell a little bit short of what it was and, until they started talking smack again. So, I'm all good for Baker, like, you know, focusing. And I, I feel like he definitely came in the last season a little distracted. That being said, once he comes out in the field and he's playing well, I, I honestly believe that he's going to go back to his old ways a little bit. And I'd be okay for it. I'm here for it. I like it when he's talking smack and he's get all hyper and he's doing drum solos yeah. before the games and stuff like that. He brings he that's, that's one of the things I liked about Baker from the beginning is he brings kind of like that aura to the team that, that a good leader needs to have sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think I, I feel the same way. I think he needs to do his trash talking on the field, right? Produce numbers, right? And then, as soon as you do that, you can you can start talking trash a little bit. Like maybe not focus so much on the media and maybe the whole Colin Coward rivalry or whatever you want to call it, or that kind of thing with the media. Just focus on the game. Uh, well, some of the Cleveland
1: and, uh, some of the Cleveland radio hosts like really hate. Baker, yeah, they do. And
0: I, I don't. Yeah, I <laughs> I remember
1: that. Who was that? That was oh, uh that. Grossi, I think, because it was the same guy, yeah, Tony yeah, Grossi, yeah. the same guy who said uh last season when they didn't score on a drive or something like that, and Tony was like at a press conference, he was like, "How do you feel about that drive?" And. Baker's like we didn't score. How do you think I felt about it? Like, come on. What do you say? Like Jesus, Tony. Like direct quote from, <laughs> from Baker, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, man. And I think, I think to your point, yes, I, I, I think he needs to find that happy medium between shit talking and actually playing. You know, it, it is part of his game, and that's fine. I'm down. Like I love Baker, and I love him for that. Of course, as Katie mentioned on our last episode, I hated him. Whenever he planted the flag, the OU flag in the middle of the black O in Columbus, now, but was that drafted, was that
1: before the game or after the game when he did that? Was that? That after that I, was after
0: that it was after was it the game. After? It was after the See, game for sure. I always I remember that in my game. head as
1: I always remember my well, yeah, because you're bad luck for the Buckeyes,
0: but Apparently, I always remember that was uh, my first Buckeye game I ever went to, and we fucking lost. So maybe I don't I always go have, picture
1: it. I don't know in my head. I guess it never made me so angry when he did that because I always picture it in my head that he did it before the game and then like he backed his game up or he backed that up with the good game that he had. But knowing that he did it after the game, yeah, that, no, that's a little that bit more was, cocky. That and- was
0: that was that was straight up after the game. I remember because I was at that game and uh, and then we were planning on going out on High Street after the game and we lost it was, it was devastating. I've never seen a more ghost town of an area than high street. Like we tried to go out and nobody was out. Like nobody was celebrating. Everybody was super pissed off as was I, but I was just trying to have a couple beers, have a little bit of fun, you know, and nobody was out. So we, we just gave up and we went back to my buddy's place in Columbus. But um, so yeah, it was totally after the game, dude. It was, It was something. So I I hated him after that. But then as soon as the Browns draft, I'm like, well, here we go. And now I'll give you credit on this one. You did call, hey, the Browns should draft Baker Mayfield. I was like, no, fuck no. We're not drafting Baker. I don't want him. And then I want Sam Darnold. So I'll, I'll go on record right now on this podcast to say that Joe called that we should draft Baker Mayfield. And I was against it. And I said, we should take Sam Darnold and then Joe ends up being right, and now I love Baker. So
1: Well, I might not be all the way right. I mean, he's definitely been probably the best quarterback that we've seen on the Browns since Derek Anderson, at least. And Because uh, Derek Anderson is a pretty good use. But, yeah, Baker's good. I definitely like Baker better than Sam Darnold so far in the NFL. I think I like him better than uh, Josh Allen up there in Buffalo, too. Josh Allen is pretty good. He's got a couple of good games, but – I think Baker has more potential if he has the right coaching staff around him and everything like that to do better.
0: That's the thing with us is we need the right coaching staff. And I think we got it right in Kevin Stefanski. Now, I know I say that every time we get a new coach, but I truly believe it this time. Yeah. Also, we have Case Keenum on our, on our bench now too, right?
1: Right. I was just going to say that Like last year, Baker kind of came into the season knowing he's going to be the starter, the starter quarterback like all the way through. Now he's got – case Keenum behind him and if Baker you know if Baker like what we had that couple game span I think it was four game span we were playing good game good teams but Baker was not having good games and like if something like that happens this coming season well I guarantee you that Stefanski will not be afraid to bench Baker and throw Keenum in there just because of the history that Keenum and Stefanski have right um, and, and maybe it, that will it'll light that fire back, back again right. too right I'm just I'm so excited for the Browns season man. I just I really hope that NFL even if college football like you can't have fans at the games or 25% capacity it'll still be nice to watch on TV but like I really hope that we can just go to the Browns games and have fun and everything. I hope and so too. It, it goes too. back to like when Ohio State lost man. It's like Browns games are so fun cuz even if you lose the city's still going to be alive. Like they're still going to be all the Browns fans are still going to be going to be like, "Oh, it's just the Browns," you know. But then when they win <laughs> it goes it goes, you know, super crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah the city will burn all right if we if we, if we, if we when, make the playoffs if, the, yeah. the city will burn if and when we eventually make the playoffs and ultimately the super bowl i don't know when this is going to be i'm just saying probably not this year probably i mean i'm just saying if and when well we, we I mean, caught it on this show of, I, we did we did uh, I Average got a little of probabilities, right? One episode. One, we have to make the Super Bowl at some point in our franchise history. And I guarantee you, whenever we do, the city will burn, win or lose. And it will be great. Okay. It will be fantastic. And I will be there okay. for it. And I know you will yeah. be too. We'll be in the same place. I promise you that.
1: I mean, I, just with the players that we have around us everything like that right now, I, it, you know, obviously, no matter how it translates onto the field, the last, well, the, f- the first season that Baker played was, we were pretty happy with. Last season was definitely a disappointment, but this is still the best Browns teams that we've ever seen in our life. I would
0: say so. Yeah. I would absolutely, on paper, absolutely it is. And the interesting thing is, is I, I read a thing today. Um, we're still going after hard Jadavie and Clowney. Um, We've offered I saw that we, the,
1: we offered him the most money out of any other the team. The most
0: money out of everybody, and he's still hesitant to sign with us. And I don't know if that's because he doesn't want to come play for Cleveland or if it's just he's trying to hold out for more money. But like, I ultimately, before he's going to sign for a team before this, the season starts, you would think, right? And if we're the only ones left that are offering him that kind of money – because, because the we most, have, at we, least, well, I don't right, think we're the or, only
1: ones left, but with the most money,
0: the most money, right? And and we have that that expendable contract with Olivier Vernon, right? I think because it's almost a trade at that point. If we because Olivier Vernon, if we cut him in the off season, and then we sign Jadavian Clowney, it's basically a one for one swap. And I love that swap, dude. I I just yeah. hope we can get that one down. And if we do end up getting Jadavian Clowney, I may end up getting a J- Jadavian Clowney jersey.
1: Well, I think um, I think one thing yeah. that might be he might be hesitant about coming to Browns for is because um, you know Miles Garrett plays this position. Miles Garrett plays the right side of the D line, and if if Clowney did come, I don't think they'd switch him. I think they'd leave Miles where he's at, and then you know. Clowney would have to go to the other side. And I don't know, maybe that could be a personal thing that he just doesn't want to do or something like that.
0: That might have something to do with it. But, like, can you imagine that defensive line with Jadavian Clowney on one side, Miles Garrett on the other? Like, that's scary. I mean, I don't care who yeah. you're going up against. That is scary.
1: Yeah, we'll see, man. Uh, we'll see. Like I said, I, I just really do. hope that I'd be, out of all the other seasons, I just hope the NFL seasons, if only if I could pick I college football, NHL, NBA, MLB and NFL, if there's a, if we could only have one, I would at this point I wouldn't do this every year, but right now I'd pick the the NHL or I'm sorry, NFL for the Browns season and everything like that for sure. Like I said, I not every I, year would I make that decision, but this year one hundred percent.
0: I think I would agree with you on that. Strictly based upon this is a very pivotal year for the Browns. We need them to do at least an eight and eight season, right? If not better. Because Hopefully, yeah. Be. Hopefully, better. I think it will be better.
1: In the simulated season, we clinched the playoffs. So I know. I saw. Ahead.
0: I. I. We. We have that going for us, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, it's just. It, it's such a pivotal season. I think we need. We need this season to leapfrog us into the next. The next uh, era of Browns football. So yeah, I definitely agree, 100%. and I think. I think this year would be the only year I would say that because, you know, we're huge fans of the Indians, and that's probably I would probably rather see the Indians win a World Series over the Browns winning a Super Bowl. And I think you agree with that as well, right? Yes or no? Uh, Like I, I, I want them both. Like if I could have them both, I would totally take them both.
1: I don't know. I think I think at this point in time I'd probably take the Browns. And I'll tell you why. And it's only because the Indians have been relatively good for most of the last two decades. Well, that's um, a good point. We yeah. had a couple down years, but no one looks at the Indians and says, like, oh, they're the worst team in baseball. And they don't have that stigma about them. As Obviously, they're not the best team in baseball, but they make the playoffs consistently. They usually have a pretty good roster. We have a really good manager. No one's looking at the Indians and being like, oh, they're the joke of the AL Central or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I that's just want the rounds to do good and win just to shut up all the haters. You know what I'm saying? Like, that that's where I'm at as far as that goes. Don't get me wrong. If the Indians won the World Series, I'd be ecstatic. And I've, I really want Tito to get one. And I feel like our window's kind of closing because we don't have Frankie very much longer. And everything. Our window but, uh, is
0: closing very, very quickly, dude. Very quickly. But, the, but we always we always are known – as the Indians of getting like really hot prospects and bringing them up and making them what they are today. And then what do we do? We just let them go. So well, it's, it's not that we let them go. We just can't afford to pay them. Well, Hey, you know. maybe,
1: maybe if, uh, maybe if this, maybe we should be rooting for the owners because if they work out a new contract deal and players can't make 300, $400 million on a contract <laughs> anymore then maybe we'll be able to afford to keep Frankie, you know?
0: maybe but i still got i still have to side on the on the side of the players man like i see where they're coming from absolutely the mlb owners are just asking them to take 75% pay cuts essentially which is crazy it's it's, in, it's insane i hope they can make a deal i hope they're playing the negotiation tactics here where like one side is on uh, an extreme side the other side's on extreme side and they'll meet in the middle to where it's not that bad but yeah. we'll and see i, I don't
1: we'll think see. it's act, it's not like it's not like they'd be getting 25 percent of their normal paychecks it, it's like you know it's it's 75 percent of the normal 100 percent is where it's resting right now
0: right so i will, see, that's, we'll see that's where that's a, that that's
1: yeah I know. well i need another beer it's getting late i gotta work tomorrow so uh we had a good episode if you guys enjoyed it review us we're on wherever you get our podcast now so check us out rate us review it message us on instagram message us on facebook let us know how we're doing we got a couple t-shirt orders so if you want a t-shirt hit us up on the instagram and uh we'll, we'll get those once we have enough so thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next time on hot takes and cold beers cheers brother cheers see ya